Hi, I'm Ryan Becker, and you're listening to the Rock Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church Official Sermon Archive. You can find more information about our church at www.rockhillsdachurch.org. We hope by listening to this message that you are encouraged and challenged in your walk with Christ. I'm happy to be here. Um, I'm really excited to share a message from the um, book of Psalms. Um, we'll be looking at Psalm 90. Um, you know, when I was in, yeah, I think it was when I was in fifth grade. No, 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 no. This was high school. It was 10th grade. 10th grade high school, I took a geometry class, and I uh, was doing this geometry class thing, and I just really disliked it. I disliked geometry so much, and, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and, and allow me to explain why I disliked it. I disliked it, and, and this might give you a window into the kind of personality that I am. I disliked it because from a philosophical point of view, I could not understand how in the world theorems and the and, and, and proofs were going to incorporate themselves into my daily life. I understood that arithmetic was significant. I understood that there were elements of geometry that were important, but there was like this large chunk of the class that I was just really perplexed about why did I need to learn this. And so because I was so upset and so frustrated and could not see the purpose of doing that work, I just stopped trying in the class. I, I did not do anything in that class as a, as a protest. <laughs> so I got a bad grade in geometry class not because I couldn't understand it. I got a bad grade in geometry class because I just decided that the work wasn't, was beneath me and it wasn't, it wasn't worth my, my time and that because nobody could persuade me that, that this was going to actually incorporate itself into daily life, that I, didn't, I wasn't going to do it. And one of the interesting things about the geometry class experience for me is that it kind of unearthed this, this experience, I think, that maybe not to my degree or maybe not in my way, but this human experience of we work, right? All of us work. We, we, we labor. There are things that occupy our time. And we all long for feeling fulfilled, feeling satisfied with the work of our hands, with the things that we're dedicating our time and our attention and our strength to. And for me, in that geometry class, as a student, as a 10th grade person, I couldn't, I couldn't understand it, and so I decided it wasn't worth my time. You know, I've always wanted to be a grown-up. Ever since I was a kid, I just wanted to be a grown-up. Like, I, I'm that kid who, I have friends who I meet, and they're like, oh, I just want to stay a child forever, and I, I don't understand that. I've always wanted to be a grown-up, and the reason why I've always wanted to be a grown-up connects to that same geometry class experience. I've... I've, I've looked into the future, and to me, I'm like, adults, adults do adult work, and it matters. It's not that kid stuff. I'm tired of doing that kid stuff. I want to do that adult work, and then I will know that it matters. And while I'm not a full-fledged adult, I'm be graduating from college this year. I'll get married in August of next year, and I'll begin to maybe move into more, you know, full-on adult life. Um, as I'm kind of getting older and as maybe my work is supposed to start looking more meaningful, I find myself still having those same questions of, does my work really matter? What does my work really mean? Where's it all going? Anyways. Let's pray. Um, 
Father, I thank you so much for the book of Psalms um, because it's just really formative to the way that we worship. And I pray, Lord, that as we explore Psalm 90, that we would be able to move through the emotions that Moses communicated, um, the struggles, and also be able to come to that point of satisfaction and refuge that Moses came to. Be uh, with my words and be with those who are listening to me, Lord. May your spirit guide them into truth and into an application of truth to their lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can anyone think about what worried you on this day 10 years ago? Just maybe give it a moment. What were you worried about on this day 10 years ago? So it's 2016. It is November 5. It's November 5. So in 2006, November 5, what were you concerned about? You, do, do you remember? You want to share? What were you concerned? Was it, are you able to share or is it? But you remember what it was. Okay. Are there any of you who are unable to remember what you were concerned about on November 5, 2006? Ryan's shaking. Yeah. So a good chunk of you, forget about I've forgotten. Um, but if you were to go back into November 5, 2006, would that iteration of you be very concerned about what you were concerned about on that day, even if you can't remember anymore? You would probably say yes, right? Like, there's this funny irony in life where in the moment, there is these really huge concerns and they're just life or death. There's a lot of anxiety about that which we're concerned about. But then time kind of takes over, you know, our life and, and five years later, ten years later, it, it, it kind of recedes into the background. And so these worries are kind of with us at all times and they can get really big. Now, Moses... Moses in Psalm 90, we're not quite sure when he's writing it, but he's worried. He is very worried. He's having one of those worries that are just really kind of, you know, crunching his soul. Biblical scholars are not sure if he wrote it when he was in the, in the, in the um, desert of Midian, you know, with Jethro and, and away from, from the people of Israel, or if he wrote it when he was out um, with the people of Israel wandering. When, when they were, you know, subjected to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. So conservative scholars are not sure if he wrote it in, one of the, in either one of those two. There's, there's deferring opinions. But I think there's an interesting point in that, that is common to both of those experiences. You see, Moses, at both, in both of those experiences, would have been experiencing a level of, not necessarily failure, but a level of questioning or worrying about what is, what is going to end up being my purpose in life. What, what are we... What is this all going to amount to? In, in the book of Acts, when Stephen is telling the history of Israel and he talks about Moses, what we discover about Moses is that he knew as he was growing up that he was going to deliver Israel. Stephen lets us know that the reason why he went and killed the Egyptian right, remember the story? There was like a, there was, he saw an Israelite being, a, being kind of oppressed by an Egyptian, and so he goes and kills the Egyptian um, to deliver that Israelite who was being oppressed, and then it all kind of comes out. The Israelite betrays the trust. The reason why he went and did that, according to Stephen, in the book of Acts, 
is because Moses understood that he was going to be the deliverer, that he was going to be a savior, that he was going to bring about the delivering of the Israelites. And so when he saw this situation, oh, look, one of my fellows is being oppressed by an Egyptian. This might be a moment for me to kind of begin to work for that. He goes and and kills the Egyptian, right? But then it all kind of falls apart on him and he runs away from the desert into the desert. And then his life is there for the next 40 years, right? So there's that moment in the desert where he's like, I felt like I had been called to do this for the Israelite people. I felt like God had put me on this planet to accomplish this. And here I am in the desert with nothing to show for it. Maybe you've been there. So that's a possible situation for having written that psalm. But the other situation, right? (laughs) Wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years with the people who rebelled. And that's why God has now kept you away from Canaan, kept you away from that rest and refuge that you were going to take them into would probably have been equally as frustrating. So either moment, right, either moment in in the life of Moses is is a moment in which his identity, his his self-understanding of what he was going to do in in this planet what God was asking him to do was being questioned, was being troubled, was, was, was not developing in the way that he would have expected it. And so he pens this. Now, the Psalms are really fascinating because they kind of teach us how to worship. Um, they teach us what's appropriate for worship. We don't always know how to worship, and so they teach us how to worship. And, and this psalm here, although it's not necessarily a lament in the fullest sense of the word, there is, there is a lot of emotional struggle that goes into it. And what you will notice about the psalm is that it begins, verses 1 and 2, begin with an identification of who God is and what He does, and then it moves into a middle section in which Moses just kind of cries out, and it's very human, And then it ends once more. It ends once more in verses 16 and 17 with an appeal to God, a cry out for help. So, what does this say to us? What it says to us is that you can bring your grumpiness to God. You can can sit before the Lord and be grumpy. You can sit before the Lord and be happy. You can sit before the Lord and be excited. You can sit before the Lord and be sad. You can sit before the Lord and express your full range of emotions and it does not scare Him. It's okay. It's appropriate. It's appropriate for you to express your full range of emotions. And, and, and even when you, when you hit moments of, of frustration, it's appropriate for you to come to the Lord, express your frustration, so long as you remember, so long as you move back into that same posture of surrender, of expecting, of knowing that God is going to help you, knowing that God is going to be there for you. That is what Moses demonstrates for us here in this psalm. Now, what does Moses say? Hope you've got your scriptures with you. I'm going to be reading some of the text here. What does Moses say? What, what, what is his worry? What is his concern? And, and, and how does he voice it? He identifies God as the dwelling place 
of all generations in verse 1. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are what? You are God. So he recognizes that, that God is refuge and has always been refuge and will always be refuge for his people. And then he begins to express what's on his mind. He says, You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is what? It is cut down and it withers. So Moses' first concern, the first thing that comes to his mind is is the fragile nature of temporal life. You know, I'm a, I, I am blessed to have had relatively few experiences with death, um, but one of the things that has struck my, my family the most was, um, I think it's been about five or six years now, my, my father um, lost his mother. He lost his mother. Um, we moved away from Mexico in about the year 2000, and um, for about the next 12, 13 years, my dad never saw his mother. So he lost his mother, and it had been 15, 16, 17 years since he had last seen her. And I remember seeing my dad shattered. And, and that, that struck me. It, it hurt me. But it didn't really become real to me until this last year, over winter break, I had, my first, I had my first opportunity in about six or seven years to go visit Mexico. It was only for a few days. We sandwiched it between the holidays, um, and I flew on the holidays and when nobody wants to fly, so like the flights were a little cheaper. But, <laughs> but we sandwiched these few days, and I went out there, and, and it was the first time I had been in Mexico. The last time I had been in Mexico, my grandmother was still alive. My grandmother was still there to dote upon me and, 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 and ask everybody to buy me things, you know, <laughs> so I could fill up on Mexican sweets. Uh, and it felt empty without her there. But what really brought it home to me was looking at my grandfather. My grandfather was a shell of himself. The man that I had known before, who was vigorous and was alive and was there to take care of her, kind of sat all day. He, he, he's, he's developed this habit of wearing her cardigans. He wears my grandmother's cardigans every day. And, and mentally, he's not the same. In fact, he didn't recognize me. He confused me with my brother. When he saw me, he said, Oh, hey, Michael, how are you doing? Michael is the name of my brother. And, and when I was there with him having that moment where my grandfather didn't recognize me and he wasn't the, one, the, the man that I had known, that was, I think, when I first realized just how fragile human life is and how people can be so alive and so vigorous one day and within a short amount of time, it's gone. And it was very sobering. And so Moses is, 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 is looking at, at those around him. He's looking at his own life, and he's just recognizing that the life is fragile. That yes, God is eternal, but, but we were fragile, and we're in this 
fragile, temporal life, and, and, and humans, they flourish like grass one morning and they're cut down the next day. And then the next portion of the psalm, it's kind of long, I won't read every single verse, but the next portion of the psalm from verses 7 through about verse 12, now move away from just the fact that life is fragile to the fact that life is also corrupt. There's, there, there is sin in this world, and, and there's corruption in this world, and, 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 the, and, and those problems, both our own sins and then the sins of others, constantly inform our everyday, yeah? Other people sin, and it affects us. We sin, and we deal with the consequences of our own sins, and we have to deal with life in the midst of all of that. And, and it's in this portion that he says, you know, our life, it amounts to about 70 years of struggle and sorrow. And if for some reason we get to 80, it's just more sorrow and struggle. It's just more sorrow and struggle. And he says, coming out of that, so then teach us, Lord. Teach us to number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. And what does that mean? That, that, that to me is one of the most interesting verses in the Bible. And it's something that I think about every day. Because what it's saying is that wisdom comes to those who understand their finiteness. Those who are aware of the fact that that their life is finite, that they are not omnipotent, that they are not going to be around strong and vigorous forever, that those who are able to come to terms with that, they have wisdom. I'm 23 years old, and I guess I still feel a little invincible. I still feel a little bit, you know, invincible. It's still hard for me to ask for help and, and to, to, to admit for mistakes, um, things that are currently troubling my, um, no, things that are currently having to be dealt with as I'm going through premarital counseling, right? Like, he doesn't like to ask for help. He doesn't know how to admit he's wrong, and so... These are problems, right? And, um, and so this, this verse, the idea that when I understand that I'm not invincible, then I will have wisdom, it, it really challenges. And, and, you know, because it's not just that I'm young and that I feel invincible. There's also other layers upon that, right? Like maybe you're not 23, but you're American. Right? You live in the United States. You're independent, you're autonomous, you value your freedom, you value your ability to shape your own you know, destiny. And, and yet, the psalm here says, no, 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 it is when you understand your fragile, finite life that then you are able to draw wisdom into your everyday. That's a, that, that's a challenging truth, even if you're not 23 anymore. Because... Chances are you, 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 you still would rather believe that you're strong and capable and independent and autonomous. Verse 13 is so rich. It's very simple and yet so pretty. 
Return, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. I'm sure you've been there when you have felt the distance between you and God. When you, when you have felt the, the, when you have felt confusion about what exactly is this story that God is telling and, and when is he going to get to the business of you know, executing like he told me. Moses was there he, he, and, and, he, and he, he understood that he was going to be saving the Israelites, but the Israelites weren't being saved and so it's, it's confusing to him and, and, and he's there whether it was in the wilderness um, during the 40 years or in the deserts of Midian, we can't say, but I would say that the wilderness wandering for 40 years makes the most sense for this psalm. You can picture Moses there surrounded by the tents in the middle, maybe it's year 20 of, of 40 years, and, and he's just had it. And he's like, Lord, like, return. How long are we going to be in this wilderness miring away? Have compassion on us. Yes, I know that we rebelled. Yes, I know that, that the story, the ideal story that you would have told through us is no more. But have compassion on us. Have compassion on us in return. How long, Lord? How long? It, it, it's, as we're moving to the, to the end of the psalm, it, there's, 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 almost, there's, a, there's a level of heartache, I think, that you can hear in, in the words of Moses. Um, yes, we are developing hope, but there, I think there's a level of heartache there. How long? And then, and then verse 14, Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Now, if he were writing this in the wilderness, Moses is looking at probably what, like 100 years of age? And to me, the text reads as if he is broken about the fact that you know early on in life like he you know like there wasn't maybe the the obedience that he would have rather seen in his own life i think i think i can see this as a call you know you see you 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 you're, you're just there and you're looking back at people who are you know a few years younger than you or several years younger than you and you're just like lord i i wish you know i wish that i would have been satisfied in your mercy then Early on in life. Early on in life because then my days would be happier. I think, that that's, I think that, that that's one of the elements of that text there, right? Like this idea of, Lord, satisfy us when we are early on in life so that the rest of our days would be lived in gladness. But I also think there's the other element, right? Just the general everyday element. I can tell a difference in my emotional well-being, in my peace with my day, when I have sought the Lord early that day. There's a difference in the day. Maybe you're there with me, maybe you're not. But when I'm able to make that time for God early on that day, just, there's just more peace that I experience throughout that day. There's more well-being emotionally. So I think that's the other element. There's the, there's the lifelong element, right? Like early on, if you, if you find satisfaction in the Lord, right? Like when you're younger. 
when your days are just beginning, then I, th- I definitely feel like that's an element of truth there. But I also feel like there's also the other aspect, where if you can find refuge in God early in your specific day, in that particular moment, then there will be peace throughout that day. That, that you're, you will be satisfied in His mercy. It says, make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. And then close, verse 16, verse 17, let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. A few years ago, I was, in a, um, I was in a different relationship, and it was in, in that relationship kind of when I realized that I had a really big anger problem. Um, there was a lot of reasons why that relationship kind of fell apart, but one of, I think one of the reasons why it fell apart was just because I had no idea how to handle my anger. There's just, I have a lot of kind of like anger stuff in me, and, and I've been, and coming out of that experience, you know, I started going through counseling, right? I wanted to process that and, and, and work my way through that anger problem. Um, and I felt like I had made so many accomplishments, like I had worked through so much. Um, so when this new relationship began, the one that uh, this, with, this, with my fiance, her name is Janice, I'll just give her a name since it's appropriate. Um, <laughs> she's not an imaginary figure. <laughs> I really am getting married. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> um, or I promise, the Bible says not to swear. Uh, the, um, <laughs> so, so as I've been working through this relationship with Janice, um, and then you know, as we become engaged and now we've begun the premarital counseling, um, one of the things that has come back to me is that apparently I'm still a very angry person. Apparently I still have anger problems. And this was very frustrating to me because I had spent time into trying to change that. You know, the, the labor, the sorrow, the struggle, I thought I had already placed into that so that it would change. And here I am in this new relationship, right, and trying to get married, and I've been like trying to take it seriously, you know, like I've been present and whatnot, and then it's like, am I still the same person? To what degree did I labor for? To what degree did I struggle through all that counseling for? To, to be here and just kind of end up being the same person again? What, what in the world is this? Um, have you been there? Do, do you know what it's like to, to labor, to struggle, to even maybe go through sorrow? working to make something happen. Maybe it was in you. Maybe it was in a relationship. Maybe it was in a business. Maybe it was here at church. You're just laboring, right? Putting forth yourself into this project. And maybe several years later, it, I don't know, maybe the relationship falls apart or maybe the relationship doesn't improve. Um, maybe the business isn't taking off in the timetable that you wish, 
Maybe the church work just kind of feels like, you know, it's just, we're just sitting here. It's just four of us. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. Have you experienced a sensation of futility? I think the American mindset would say, like, have you questioned the legacy that you're leaving? Probably not the things that Moses would have been concerned about, but I think that's the way that we would think of it. What's my legacy? What are they going to think about me, of all the work that I did? Is anyone going to remember it? Can't comment on worldly standards. Because as far as like the secular world is concerned, as far as like the general world history, even famous people get forgotten like 20 years after they die. So there's not much refuge to be found there. But I think that Moses is right to turn to God, to ask God, first of all, to have his glory and beauty be upon us. Why is that important? Well, that, that term there, that beauty term in other parts of the Psalms is translated as delightfulness, the delightfulness of the Lord. He is inviting the joy, the peace that God's presence brings. So, so as you labor, and as you struggle, and as you sorrow, as you maybe sometimes question what is it all for, what do you do? I think what you do is, is you first, in that moment, you recognize that by having that experience, you have to some degree strayed from God. Not from salvation, just, just straight away from realizing that pleasure, that delightfulness, and that joy is found in knowing that God is with you as you labor. And then the other line. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. It, it, it is knowing, it is, it is giving up your remembrance and, and your work, your legacy, if you will, into God's hands and just trusting that He's going to establish it. He's going to confirm it. He's going to take care of making sure that it rewards you. So may you, may you experience the beauty of the Lord. May you experience the delightfulness that God's presence brings to your heart when He's there with you, working, laboring, sorrowing with you. And may you know that your work has dignity and that He will establish it.